Let's glory in the Lord for just a moment. Thank him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, we bless that mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. Amen. Well, this last week, uh, I went to our sectional Christmas banquet for the ministers in our organization, and we are developing a kind of a new tradition in the section of instead of giving each other gifts, we're trying to, to give to someone who might need it a bit more. Um, and the last couple of years we have uh, given to Tupelo Children's Mansion at this time, and of course, that's a noteworthy uh, ministry, a worthy ministry. This year, our presbyter, uh, Pastor R. Derry, asked that we take a list of the missionaries in our organization and give consideration to whom we might be able to be a blessing uh, this Christmas season. Um, and of course, uh, we have the opportunity if we want to be even more of a blessing because they gave us their birthdays as well. But uh, today, at least, I, I just wanted to spend a minute talking to you about the Pace family. Some of you, hopefully many of you will remember, they were with us, I want to say it had to be about five years ago now already, and it's hard to believe it's already been that long, but I guess it was before uh, COVID, and that has really warped my sense of time. So I don't know how long it's been exactly. But uh, when I got the list, I was just thinking, I'm like, we well, you know what makes the most sense for us. And I don't know in my memory if a ministering family, a missionary family, was more of a blessing to us as a congregation than was the Pace family. Because, of course, a missionary, when they come home to the States, they're big objective is to raise enough money to go back overseas. And we understand that, you know, we, they want to be in their, their field of work. And, and so that is the great impetus. And, and so you have usually a missionary talking a lot about what's going on there. And it, it can be very interesting. It can be very uh, motivating. Uh, and, and while Brother Pace did spend a little bit of time doing that, his focus, however, was so much on us, was on Parma, was to be a blessing to us and to preach faith to us and to preach not just about miracles overseas, but to preach about miracles that we can have right here. And I hope that some of you at least would remember that, uh, that service. They were only with us for the one service, but just uh, really did, uh, I think, leave a mark uh, an impressive mark upon me uh, at how much they just cared about people. And so I, I decided to choose the Pace family here. There's James Harmony, and then there are two children, Emery and Silas. Emery is um, about 15 years old, young girl, and, and Silas is about 12 years old now. And so what can we do to be a blessing to, the, to them? They are, they are missionaries in Austria, I think they're based in, in Vienna, a uh, very international city, but they also, I think, um, do missionary work in Liechtenstein and in Sweden, um, at, least, at least on a limited basis, but I believe their major operation is in Austria. So someone overseas that we don't talk to all the time and have two teenagers, what gift would be best? 
C-A-S-H. Usually, right? But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to just mail cash, but everyone has access, even if they're overseas, to Amazon.com. And since we don't know what maybe they need the most, I thought it'd be great at the end of service today to take up a special offering, and I'll be happy to go and just buy an Amazon gift card, write them a letter, and say, get what you need, get what you want, spoil yourself on, on, on whatever the case may be. So at the, at the conclusion of service, uh, people don't let me, someone yell at me, uh, slap my leg, do whatever, don't let me forget, we're going to have one more offering today to be a blessing to the Pace family, the ministry that they're dedicated to in Europe. Amen? Sound good? And every year we do uh, something like this. As I said in the past, it's been Tupelo. Uh, you guys have always been so great to give and to want to be a blessing. And so I, I trust that you will do the same uh, this year. Amen. Amen. And before I forget, I meant to mention this earlier, before I forget, this Friday. Everyone say this Friday. That's the 15th, right? 7 p.m. Here at the church, we have a little Christmas potluck get-together. That means you're going to make a little bit of food, enough for yourself and, and a little bit more so I can enjoy it, so that we all can enjoy it. Uh, and we'll have, uh, it's family night, so there's no age restrictions for kids. You know, come together. We're going to do our best to have some games and just have a good time of fellowship and, and just hang out for a little while. Does that sound all right? This Friday, 7 p.m., here at the church. Amen, amen, and amen. And I think that's everything I had to get through. Amen. So let's turn our attention to the book of John. And I'm going to read here from chapter 13 of the book of John, two sections of verses that, that are, are the same topic. But I'm going to skip over a, a small section John chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3, 3 through 5, and then jump down to verse 12, and we'll read 12 through 14. John chapter 13 and verse number 3, reading in the New King James Version. The Bible says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And skipping down now to verse 12, the Bible says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Seems like a pretty easy question. Yeah, you just washed our feet. Well, obviously there's more to it, right? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And today I want to speak to you about the need for service. Would you bow your heads 
And pray with me the blessing of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as always, stand in need of you, of your anointing power, your special touch. Help me, O God, to speak not words simply that are the wisdom of men, but God, saturated with your Holy Ghost, with your holy touch. God, lend unto me anointing, I pray, to be a blessing to these people. And in Jesus' wonderful name, I pray. And everyone said... Amen, amen, amen. Over the last 120 or 150 years, I suppose there's different places where we could start counting, but there has been more change in the last century or so than there had been in the previous 1,000, in the previous 5,000. The rate of change is so staggering nowadays uh, that, that it's literally impossible for any one person to keep up with it. Uh, you know, I think 10 years ago or so, we were complaining about how fast technology was changing, and even five years ago. And now it's just almost ridiculous. It's almost a ridiculous understatement to say that. Of course you can't keep up with it, right? We're talking now about artificial intelligence coming out and what that might mean or might not mean or whether it's actually artificial intelligence. And I find I, I'm, I'm listening to, to different to people talk about technology and this and that, and, and <laughs> strangely, um, uh, they, they begin to mention Isaac Asimov's rules for robots. Now, if you're unacquainted with that, that's science fiction from the 1960s. Inspiration, well, after the book, iRobot wrote a whole bunch of, of science fiction stuff, and now we're talking about it like, yeah, we need to program our robots that are to come with these rules so they don't kill us and take over the world. We are in warp zone, aren't we, for change? Impossible to keep up with. Impossible to keep up with. And it has had a great effect. Some of this change just on how every generation functions, what they expect, what they're thinking about, what they're worried about, how they operate in the world. Add to that global issues and pressures. Add to that financial issues and pressures. Add to that what we have gone through uh, in, the, in the pandemic and the response to the pandemic. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. A child born today cannot hardly imagine the world from the 1950s or 60s. They probably really can't really even imagine it. I was born in a time where people didn't really have cell phones, right? They, they existed, but people generally didn't have them. And then I watched people get them, and then I watched everyone get them. And then I got one, and it was a, 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 a really interesting evolution but, of course, I couldn't remember a time when people didn't have at least a, a, a phone in their home, right? I couldn't imagine that. But there's a few people still around that can remember a time when maybe this street or that street didn't have power or didn't have the phone or didn't have whatever. But that's a, a dwindling thing. And so the generation today, or what we call Gen Z, they have such a different perspective on life. They have such a different expectation of things. They have such a different outlook. And it's not all good. And it's maybe not all bad. But just to give you an example, from 2017, when Gen Z was still in high school, maybe, 
to today, just those five years, there's been a dramatic shift, well, in a lot of things, in, in their perspective, in, in young people's perspective, young adults, right, as they're coming out of high school, people now coming out of, that are now out of high school, maybe now out of college, they spend more money on themselves. Anybody here like to spend money on yourself? Amen? Don't be bashful now. At least a little bit. And so this generation says, well, I don't only like it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spend more money on myself. And not to be, not to be uh, unwise, they exercise more than they did the young adults of five years ago. They spend more money on themselves. They invest in their, their, their physical well-being more. They delay marriage. But did you know that they are also less happy and less healthy when polled? I exercise, but I'm not healthy. I spend my money on myself, but I'm not content. And not to be inappropriate, but of course you well know that in our world there has been a dramatic increase in sexualized content. Yet Generation Z and Millennials are less intimate, and I'll just leave it at that word, than any generation before them. They don't get married. They don't just delay marriage. They don't get married. They're disinterested in relationship building. They are, as a generation, more and more completely and totally focused inwardly. And I got to tell you, church, that is a colossal trick of hell. If you want the fast track to depression, just think about yourself. Think about only you. Think about how bad you've got it. Think about how bad life is. And pretty soon, you'll persuade yourself that the best thing you can do is end your own life. And it won't matter how much you exercise to get rid of the depression. It won't matter how much money you spend on yourself to be happy for a temporary dopamine fix. You simply, at the end of the day, will go to bed unfulfilled without purpose, without any real measure of contentment. There's been a study done of the present generations, and I know that we still do have a few silent generation folks, but really the, the four main generations are the boomers, Gen X, my generation of millennials, and those after me, Gen Z. They were asked, how much money, and this was a scientific survey, how much money would you need to be happy? If, in fact, money could measure happiness, how much money would it take to be happy? Now, you all know what you make, and I won't ask you right now, but you know what you make, and just... Just measure that against what these generations have said. Boomers said 
they would be happy if they could make $124,000 a year. And this is married couples, right? If collectively they could make $124,000 a year and have a net worth, have a net worth on average just under $1 million. You know, the value of the house and the boat and the whatever all added up and the 401k and this, that, and the other. We're sitting on a million and we're bringing in 125, roughly. Gen X, and maybe this isn't too surprising since, you know, inflation. We're a little younger. We, we're going to need a little bit more. So they said that they needed 130000 and they needed to sit on $1.2 million net worth. $1.2 million net worth. Gen Z, I'm going to skip over millennials for just a second. Gen Z, because maybe they're young and don't see things as... as much of a time horizon as, as olders or, or just because they have yet to build it up said, I don't need quite that much. I need 128000 and sit on just under a half a million, $487,000 net value. If I had that tucked away and I was making 128000 I think that'd be enough. Hey, I've got a long life ahead of me. I can save up. But millennials, my generation, said that to be happy, to be happy, they would need $1.7 million of net worth, and they would need to bring in, are you ready, $525,000 a year. Wow. Now, I, you know, I don't really encourage playing the lottery all the time, but I sure would like to win that sweepstakes. Five, half a million dollars a year? Yeah, I think that could be enough to get by on. That's the average. That was the average. When, when they pulled men and women together as a unit, they said collectively 525. The man thought he would need 381,000. The woman, uh, 100 and whatever it was, 180, I think, or 60, uh, whatever, come out to $525,000. I mean, I suppose you could spend that much money in a year. Of course you could. You really would need for nothing. You really would want for nothing. But you'd have enough money to be a blessing to a whole lot of other people if you got that much money in a year. But here's the real question. Would you? I mean, this is a, 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 by its very nature a selfish question. For me to be happy, I need a half a million dollars a year. Wow. Staggering. Four times every other generation. That's what they're asking for. Four times the amount of money. Just for me to be happy. Well, what about other people? Because as we've already established looking at Gen Z, there's no amount of money you can spend on yourself. There's no amount of exercise you can give to yourself to make yourself happy and healthy and strong and have a positive outlook and, and, and be right in your own mind. Hey, folks, church, we must have an outlook towards others if we're going to find contentment for our own life. Yes. And it might sound like pastors saying, well, I have to be altruistic. That's not necessarily the case. To be altruistic means you have no other 
other motivations, you're solely focused on the other person. Do you know how rare that is? Just because someone starts a nonprofit, just because they have a charity organization, does not mean that their only focus or their only hope is for you to be blessed. By its very nature, as I'm preaching it to you right now, giving to others makes you happy, which means you have a vested interest in making other people happy. And that's okay. It's okay that you would find fulfillment in helping someone else. Can you say amen? First Timothy 5 and 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. As society has taken that lesson and brought it to us in different words, charity begins at home. Charity begins at home. You want to know why Gen Z is unhappy and, 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 and millennials and just more and more societies less happy? They're not focused on anyone else but themselves. They don't even want to start a family. And even if they get married, they don't want to have any kids. I mean, that would really cramp my style. There's a, a little video montage that someone put together this last week of Dinks. That's D-I-N-K, dual income, no kids. Hilarious little video of couples married and all the stuff that they can do because they don't have kids. You know, having kids is one of those things you cannot compare it until you, you know, you've done it, right? So if you don't have any kids, you don't literally have any idea what you're missing. And while these dinks are bragging about how they can, they can, you know, they can leave a party whenever they want to. Not because they have to get home to the kids. They can take more vacations and they can spend more money on themselves in any number of ways and do what you have no idea the fulfillment you get in your heart when your own kid wants to hug you. <laughs> Especially the older they get. Amen. Amen, Sister Jerry. There is nothing that, that really captures it in words. You actually feel like you did something right. Wow. Amazing. You have no idea the, f- the fulfillment that that can give. But it, it, it costs you a whole lot to earn that hug, let's say, if I can just put it in words like that. Because as you quickly learn as a new parent, there's no off switch to those kids. Whereas when you're tired of the TV, you can just turn it off. When you're tired of the this, you can just walk away. You can never walk away from the kids if you're going to be a good parent. Or you can walk away and you can be a dirtbag and you'll regret it the rest of your life. And you'll damage them for the rest of their life. But charity, service starts at home. And you don't have to go very far to serve in the kingdom of God. It starts with your family. So I want to tell you, church, today, serve your home. No people in this world are more important than the people in your own household. Now, there's no people maybe less important, 
but this is just the structure of God. If you want to show love and you want to show service and you want that fulfillment in your life, start where you're at. And then increase that door front. Increase that household. Increase, I think in the Greek it's the word oikos. Increase that threshold. Bring more into the canopy of your love, of your service, of what you can give, of what you can do. And yes, parents have to serve their children. And yes, children, we teach you how to serve by making you serve us or serve yourself or have self-respect. Yeah, children, serve your family as well. What do you mean serve my family? Well, it can be as simple as this. When mom and dad says, clean your room, go clean your room. That's service? Yeah, it's called not living in a pigsty. Right? Charity begins at home, and charity doesn't have to be giving people money. It's giving them your time. It's giving them your sincerity, giving them of your, your, your whole being, your whole life. Service. Charity begins at home. The Bible says in Matthew 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the, mul the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And of course, you know the story well of Jesus feeding the 5,000 when he said, well, bring them to me. The, the little lad that had enough for one person said, bring, bring me his meal and blesses it. And they not only had enough to feed the 5,000 men plus women and children, they took up 12 baskets full at the end. And it was a wonderful miracle to point to the provision of God. But today, the lesson is this. After you're done serving at home, yeah, it's okay to serve strangers. The verse I read begins with, Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. Right? He had compassion on them. They were... If we read all four Gospels, they were following him because of the works, because of the preaching, because of all that Jesus was doing. He looked at them and saw them and, and was moved with compassion on them. I mean, there's more than one lesson to learn here, folks. One lesson is it's not the job of the church to provide you a meal. That's not what Jesus went into the wilderness for. That's not what he went into the deserted place, if I use the words of the Bible, for. He didn't go there to have lunch with them. He went there to preach to them the truth. But he was moved with compassion on them. So, yeah, it's okay to be moved with compassion on strangers. It's okay to serve them. In fact, I think there's another lesson. You ought to, from time to time, be a blessing to people you don't know. But here's a very important lesson. You can't really be or you shouldn't really be that type of blessing to strangers if you haven't done it at home first. Oh, it's easy to give to strangers, actually. 
there's no strings attached. There's no follow-up lessons. There's no, there's no follow-up instructions or follow-up relationship. It's just a passing fancy. I'm not saying you need to, but it's, it's easy to give money out your window to someone begging on the side of the corner. I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying it's easy to do. Well, here's money. Bye. That's easy to do. I don't know how much you've actually served them. You have given them money. So understand that may not be compassion. That may be you get a good feeling because you did it. Now, I know a few minutes ago I said that that's okay, and it is okay. Just as, as the Bible teaches us, the poor you have with you always. And when we read in the book of Acts, when the church got together of things that they ought to do, one of the things they said, well, let's give to the poor. Yeah. But, you know, giving to the needy is not quite the same to, as giving to the lazy. Can I say, can I, is that okay? Everyone comfortable? I'm not saying God can't convict your heart to do that very thing. He's done it to me. Why? Because maybe I needed the instruction of, hey, no one is beneath you, Dan. Amen. So, yeah, it's okay to serve strangers. Even if you only have five loaves and two fish. You see, it's not up to you to work the grand miracle in service. Right? You just bring what you have, and if God wants to multiply it, he'll multiply it. And if he wants it to be just one meal, it'll be just one meal. And if he wants it to be bigger than you can ever think, then that's on him. And if he wants it to be just a lesson to teach you humility, then that's fine too. But the point is, serve strangers. With what? With what you can. With what you have. You don't have to shoot the moon to be of service to people. Matthew 15. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. I don't know if I've ever heard someone that I know personally that said that they're they're not demon-possessed. They're severely demon-oppressed. Possessed. Severely demon-possessed. I certainly, whether serious or joking, have said at times, well, they got a demon, don't they? But this woman felt this so, so enormous in her, in her own spirit my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Would to God we had more parents in the United States that were willing to admit that their kids have demons. Boy, it got really quiet in here all of a sudden. I said, I would to God that we had more parents in the United States that could admit it when their kids are full of the devil. All right, well, that's not part of the lesson. I'll just keep going. just want to make sure we're on the same page. Severely, severely demon-possessed, but he answered her not a word. Now, there you go. That's, 
That's another little lesson. We say God always listens, and he does, but, you know, he can ignore you if he wants to. You know, that felt so good. We should probably just let it ruminate for a while. I said, God can ignore you if he wants to. And it may not have anything to do with you doing anything wrong. It may just have to do with him proving a point. He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Jesus, send her away, for she cries out after us now. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Adding insult to injury. My daughter's demon-possessed. You won't talk to me. Now you're calling me a dog. God can call you whatever he wants. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And he said, and she said rather, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, A woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The need for service. Who do we serve and when do we serve them? Well, here's another lesson, folks. Serve the desperate. Serve the desperate. And serve the faithful. Great is your faith. The faithful and the desperate. Full of faith was she. Lord, ignore me. Lord, call me a dog. Lord, whatever. I'm not going away, though. I need your help. I am desperate. I've said, of course, several things about American society today. Here's, here's one more. Far too few Americans really comprehend desperation. What it really means to be desperate. Those who grew up in the Great Depression of the 1930s, boy, did they ever have, as a generation speaking, a different outlook on things, on what you threw away and what you kept around. My father has told this story many times, but if you'll indulge me, I'll tell it one more time of a trip he was taking out west hunting with a group of guys, and uh, one, one of the fellows that was coming with him was an older gentleman from that era, from, you know, raised in the Great Depression. And, uh, of course, uh, my dad and, and one or two others were serving kind of as the outfitters. You know, they had been there before, and so they know the place to go. They have the equipment, and so we're inviting other people, charging them enough to cover our fee. So part of that, of course, is food, right? You're gonna, I'm going to buy the food for you. Uh, I'll cook it for you. Uh, you know, we'll have all the equipment you need, including these little things called paper plates and paper bowls and, and flatware, right? 
It's just disposable. Even throw it in a campfire when you're done. It's very, very easy. But this gentleman was insistent. He had his own can every meal. What do you mean he had his own can? I mean like an old soup can or bean can. He ate all of his meals out of that. Well, another man at the camp after a few days kind of just got grossed out by the fact that this guy was eating out of that same can, not every day, but every meal. How gross. And he just grabbed it and threw it in the trash. Uh-oh. That man from the Great Depression era came unglued. Got no appreciation for anything. Don't understand the value of nothing. How dare you do that? Guilted him into picking it up out of the trash and washing it for him. Say, here you go. Here's your can. Yeah, that's quite a different perspective from today, isn't it? We don't understand what it means to be truly desperate and to present your need to the Lord in desperation. You know, it's a funny thing because even, even though you can be surrounded by that much negative stuff, you can grow content with it. You can grow accustomed to it. You can just get used to it and accept it. Or you can bring your need to the Lord. Amen? In desperation. But, but today, I, I want to remind someone who needs to hear it. There's desperate people out there that do need help. And it's okay to serve them. And within the house of the Lord, you're going to find people that are faithful even in their desperation, even through hard times. And, and hey, folks, looking around, it's okay to serve them. Charity starts at home, right? Service can start right here in the church as well. People might get grand ideas of, of spreading the gospel or doing a work for the Lord uh, out there and overseas and and. Uh, you know, we talked about the Pace family. Let me be the next missionary to uh, wherever. Hey, that's great. But if you're not going to prove that you can serve the people here, why would God send you out there? Yes. Yes. There's plenty of people to serve right here. There's plenty of needs to meet right here. There's plenty of ministry to give. Do I have a witness right now? Right here. Amen. To those who are faithful. Yeah, young people, you might look around and say, man, so many old folks, what's the deal? That's just opportunity for you. That's just opportunity for you to be a blessing to them. They've been faithful to the house of God for decades, faithful in giving for decades, faithful in prayer for decades. It's not an excuse just because there's a, a few wrinkles and a few gray hairs to, to pick on them because of their age or to wear, you know, break them down because of their age. No, that's an opportunity for you to serve, for you to be the next generation that is found faithful. Right. To be found faithful. Well, I could go on. 
but I'll just go on. The book of Acts, chapter 13, the Bible says, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. And then from Ecclesiastes 11, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Well, what does one verse really have to do with the other? I, I've always liked that verse from Acts that, that David served his own generation. I, I mean, in the most basic sense, of course, it just meant he served during his time. But in a greater sense, he truly did serve the entire generation of Israel. He served all of those people. Why? Because he was the king. He was in that position. But again, whether, whether you find yourself in a lowly state or as the next missionary to Zimbabwe or you rise in political ladders or business ladders or wherever you find yourself, Here's the point. Serve now. He that observes the wind, well, is this the right time for ministry? Yes. Is this the right time for service? Yes. Go ahead and try right now. Ideal conditions are a rare thing in life. Ideal conditions are a rare thing in life. It's like when you go on YouTube to watch a how-to video because you're working on something. Anyone here ever do that? Amen? Yeah, I did it this week. Attaching something new to my, to my truck that I, that I need. Watching the, it's amazing how fast the instructional video goes. I mean, I had 13 minutes of video, but it took me hours. Why? Because I didn't have a lift for my truck. I had never done it before. I didn't have all the same tools that he had. And even the tools I did have, sometimes I have to go find. Because I can't remember where I put them last time. Ideal conditions are a very, very rare thing in life. And let's not forget the fact that they edit those videos. Yeah, I, I, ideal conditions? No. You sow the seed sometimes in the rain. You sow the seed sometimes in the storm. You do the work of God in the rain, in the shine, in the snow, in the sleet. Because if you observe the weather, if you observe the conditions and wait for the right time, it will pass you by. You will never sow, and you will never reap. So if you really do need a half a million dollars a year, you better start sowing right now. Send out that chapter of Ecclesiastes. He said, send out your bread upon the water. Send out your investment. Send it out in seven or eight different places because you don't know the future. If you need that money, you better send it out. Send out the work and send out the time and send out the investment. And here's the last lesson from this. Serve now and serve those around you. David served his generation, his own people. Serve those around you. I 
began today by reading how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. How many of them did he wash? All of them. All of them. Why is that important? Why? Because one of them betrayed him and he knew he was going to do it. He didn't serve only those who were faithful. He served those who he knew would not be. It doesn't help you to try to give an account for everyone else of why you can serve them, why you can't serve them, why you can help this one, but you can't help. Just, just do it. Just do it and, and just let God work out all those other details. Because, yes, I know there, there's no greater betrayer in history than Judas, but it nonetheless was the catalyst to the cross, wasn't it? And the cross gives you forgiveness of sins, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So what, what Judas meant for his own benefit, God turned it into salvation for you and I. Don't get so caught up on those details. Just serve now. Just serve who you can. There's plenty of room for service. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet today, raise your hands. We're going to have a song to close. And I know we're going to receive our offering for the Pace family. But for just a moment, I think it would be good for us to meditate on the Lord, on his word, on service. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with depression, you remember what I was reading to you reading to you about Generation Z, but it, it certainly transcends one generation. If you have troubles, reach out beyond yourself. Find someone to serve. There may be nothing that you personally can do to help yourself more than serving someone else. Why? Because it gets your mind off of you. I already said this is a big trick of the devil. When you only think about you, you can't get out of your own mind. That is the road to depression. So if you struggle with this, find somewhere to serve. Who can I serve? Your home. Strangers. When can I do it? Now. You can serve the faithful, the desperate. All these people. Well, just about anyone, right? find something that they might need something they might want help with well I don't have very much that's okay even if it's just five loaves and two fishes it certainly can make a difference amen 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 you do make a difference once you raise your hands towards heaven let's speak to the Lord while we have a song hallelujah Oh, we bless the wonderful name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul doth long for thee. Alone are my heart's 
desire and I long to worship Thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To You alone does my Desire and I long to worship Thee. You're my friend and You are my brother, even though You are my King. I love You more than any other I love so much more than anything you alone are my strength my shield you alone does my spirit yield you alone are my Desire and I long to worship Thee. Amen. We thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. As we conclude our service, we're going to receive this love offering for the Pace family. And I'm going to pick on Joey. Maybe he can help us out today that basket up here serving as usher. If you uh, also had filled out one of those cards and hadn't put it in the offering yet, you can go ahead and put it in here as well. Lord, we thank you again for this day for all of our missionaries spreading the truth of your word, helping, oh God, to see lost souls saved. We ask God that you would take this small gesture today and bless the Pace family, bless their children. God, give them some peace and comfort in the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray it today. Amen, amen, amen. Let's bring our offering down the center aisle and you are dismissed in the wonderful name of the Lord.